Today's broadcast was originally recorded on January 25th, 2024. There are very powerful people that want to keep you out. I know what they do. But they're willing to put their money where their mouth is in a big way. Wow. That sounds bad. Like a TV show. Except it's real. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. Oh, no, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio. In Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on uh, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Cole Country, Fairmont, West Virginia on WEFR, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says everyone I know from bradblog.com. But yeah, I know. I I don't know that many people. (laughs) Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi, I say so. You say I'm swell. I appreciate that. You're welcome. If you didn't, I'd fire you. Anyway, (laughs) uh, hey, since we're going to spend quite a bit of time today on what Republicans are doing wrong... Let's just put it that way. Let me start with at least one story on what Democrats, in this case, the Biden administration, are apparently doing very, very right. As the New York Times describes it today, the U.S. economy continued to grow at a healthy pace at the end of 2023, capping a year in which unemployment remained low, inflation cooled, and a widely predicted recession never materialized. Go figure. Apparently, federal investment in the U.S. economy actually helps the U.S. economy. What? Who who knew? Gross domestic product, or GDP, adjusted for inflation, grew at 3.3% in an annualized rate in the fourth quarter of 2023, according to the Commerce Department on Thursday, while down from the Uh, rocket-fueled 4.9% rate in the third quarter of last year. It easily topped forecasters' expectations and showed the resilience of the recovery from the pandemic's economic upheaval. In fact, forecasters had estimated that GDP growth uh, in the fourth quarter last year would be about 2%. In the final quarter, it was instead 3.3%. That is... I'm not good at math, but nearly 75% higher 
than estimates by the financial experts. And it's actually a good thing that it wasn't even higher than that in truth, as Wall Street has been hoping that the Fed would soon lower interest rates that they had previously raised in hopes of cooling inflation. Uh, and so far, that has worked as well, cooling inflation without, so far, sending us into a recession. Forecasters entered 2023 expecting the Federal Reserve's aggressive campaign of interest rate, uh, interest rate increases to push the economy into reverse. Instead, growth of the economy has accelerated faster than the average for the five years preceding the pandemic according to the New York Times. Now, the Times unhelpfully does not mention, but hmm, let me think here. Let me think. Who was the president during the years preceding the pandemic? It's ringing a bell, but I just can't. New was York it, Times just cannot bring themselves to say so. Was it was it anybody who, who then, as now, you know, has been claiming that those years, those years before the pandemic, were the best economic years in American history by far? That's debatable, of course, but if they were, then under Joe Biden, after the pandemic, well, the past economic year was even better than the best economic years ever in American history prior to the pandemic. So go figure. Quote, stunning and spectacular, said Diane Swank, chief economist at KPMG of the latest data. There is little sign that a recession is imminent this year either. Early forecasts point to continued, albeit slower, growth in the first three months of 24, which again is what you want if you want the Fed to lower interest rates. Layoffs remain low. Job growth has been steady. Cooling inflation has meant that wages are again rising now faster than prices and consumer sentiment. Is at, le is at last showing signs of rebounding after years in the doldrums, the paper notes. In other words, as the economy has been improving from Trump's pandemic lows, it's taken a while for folks to feel it, to feel that it is improving. Now, consumer confidence in the economy is finally beginning to catch up. It's finally beginning to rise with the actual solid foundations of the economy, which, if these numbers were under Donald Trump, frankly, would almost certainly have resulted in, by now in a Time magazine cover with his face on it and the headline, The Man Who Saved the American Economy. Do you have any doubt of that? Such as uh, all of this, however, is happening under Joe Biden, I suspect most Americans will not even hear about any of this at all beyond today, if they even hear it today. But I thought that the broadcast listeners might like to hear about it. Quote, it's hard to imagine how things could look better, said Brian Rose, senior economist at UBS. Looking back at the last year, the combination of growth and inflation that we had was not considered in the realm of possibility by most people. To have such strong growth, low unemployment, and to have inflation coming down that quickly, even the optimists, he notes, weren't that optimistic. Consumer spending, the bedrock of, US, uh, of the U.S. economy, grew at 2.8% in an annual rate. 
The housing sector, which was battered by high interest rates in 22 and early 23, grew modestly for the second quarter in a row. Businesses stepped up their investment on equipment, which is what they do when they expect economic growth in the months ahead. And personal income rose faster than prices as the strong job market continued to benefit workers. Some of those workers, about half a million of them, uh, in fact, yesterday, thanked President Biden on Wednesday after he stood up for them during their months-long strikes last year when the United Auto Workers Union endorsed Joe Biden's 2024 campaign on Wednesday. Here's UAW leader Sean Fain announcing the union's endorsement of Biden and decrying Donald Trump as a union scab. Donald Trump is a scab! Donald Trump is a billionaire, and that's who he represents. If Donald Trump ever worked in an auto plant, he wouldn't be a UAW member. He'd be a company man trying to squeeze the American worker. When you go back to our core issues, wages, retirement, health care, and our time, that's what this election's about. Those are the questions that will determine the future of our country and the fate of the working class. It's not about your party. It's not this bull about age. Joe Biden bet on the American worker while Donald Trump blamed the American worker. Joe Biden has earned it. United Auto Workers President Sean Fain there. He really ought to come out of his shell a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it was quite a rousing speech. I highly recommend checking it out, plus Biden's speech afterwards. Very, very inspiring. Sean Fain, uh, they're announcing the uh, the uh, union's endorsement. Half a million uh, UAW workers endorsing Joe Biden uh, for re-election in 2024. Now, Donald Trump pretends to give a damn about those, those for the forgotten working man. <laughs> I know. Uh, but during that uh, UAW strike, Donald Trump showed up at a non-union shop outside of Detroit. The day after, Joe Biden actually marched on the picket lines with actual striking union members, workers. So no wonder uh, he won their uh, endorsement this year. Uh, perhaps most significantly regarding the economy and the numbers out today from the Commerce Department, inflation continued to cool. Consumer prices rose at a 1.7% annual rate in the final three months of the year. That is below the Fed's long-run target of 2%. That's what's considered normal, 2% inflation. Well, at the end of last year, it was one7 It was lower than that. That isn't just good news for households bruised by two years of rapidly rising prices, the Times observes, observes. It also makes a recession less likely because it gives Fed policymakers more flexibility to cut interest rates to keep the recovery on track. Quote, wages, wealth and employment are higher now, higher now than they were before the pandemic. 
the, uh, the I believe this is the White House. Yeah. President Biden cheered the latest data on Thursday as evidence that his economic policies are working, saying that wages, wealth and employment are higher now than they were before the pandemic. That's in a statement. Now, again, uh, yeah. Who who was the president before the pandemic? He said that's good news for American families and American workers, Joe Biden did. Now, in truth, presidents often take credit for good economic cycles, whether their policies had anything to do with it or not. I mean, just look at Donald Trump as example, prime example number one. But that also means that they are sometimes unfairly tarred during bad economic cycles <clears throat> that they had nothing to do with. See Joe Biden, for example, being blamed for post-pandemic economic strains after Trump had allowed much of the economy to simply crash and burn, overseeing a net job loss during his presidency for the first time, uh, I think, it, it, perhaps in history, in at least about 100 years. But in this case... The Biden administration has actually been incredibly hands-on with the economy. They actually do deserve credit here, including the passage of a record number of bills with a record amount of money that has been invested in American workers and American manufacturing and new regulations to curb drug prices from big pharma such as allowing them to charge no more than $35 a month for insulin rather than 5 or $600, which had been routine under, yes, presidents like Donald Trump, who did nothing about soaring drug prices by Big Pharma, no matter how much he loves to pretend that he's an enemy of Big Pharma. He ain't. He gave him tax cuts. And all of that work by President Biden and his administration is clearly now paying off, at least if the American public hears about any of this. Now, I, it still ain't all perfect, not by a long shot. Separate study out, for example, this week found that some 50% of renters can no longer afford to pay rising rents. Uh, obviously homelessness is a problem in large cities. So yeah, there's a lot more work to do for a lot of middle class and poor folks in particular. But again, had Donald Trump been in the White House right now with these numbers, he would have been singing his own praises as the greatest economy and the greatest economic recovery of all time. And whether true or not, corporate media would have been out there echoing those claims damn near every single day. So let's see who Time Magazine puts on the cover next week with the headline, <laughs> The Man Who Saved the American Economy. And if anybody, by the way, in the public even notices if they do. All right. So much for the good news about Democrats for the moment. Now on to the good news about Republicans. And allow me to uh, cite here from uh, Fox News's coverage of this story so that our MAGA listeners out there, and yes, we do have them, so that they actually believe that this story is actually a real story because, you know, it comes from Fox News. As Fox reports today, Peter Navarro, who served in the White House under former President Donald Trump, was sentenced on Thursday for flouting a House January 6th committee subpoena. U.S. District Judge Amit Mehta 
uh, sentenced Navarro to four months in prison and ordered him to pay a fine of $9,500. That's two months shorter than the six months that prosecutors had sought, according to Fox. A former advisor to the president on trade and manufacturing policies, Navarro was convicted in September of two counts of contempt of Congress for defying a subpoena for documents and a deposition from the House Select Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 riot. Not an insurrection, but a riot, according to Fox, uh, at the U.S. Capitol. The subpoena required Navarro to appear and produce documents in February of 22 and sit for a deposition in March of 22, but Navarro refused to provide the materials or to testify. In announcing the sentencing decision, Judge Mehta cited how Navarro had claimed a, quote, two-tier system of justice and described the January 6th committee as a, quote, kangaroo court. Yes, it's a two-tier system of justice for poor white Republicans like Peter <laughs> Navarro. The idea, this is from the judge, the idea that he is subject to a two-tier system of justice when he's sitting here with four very capable lawyers is a real head-scratcher, the judge said. The words executive privilege are not magical dust. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. To not engage with the committee, to work through the issues, to simply not engage, there is no basis for it, the judge explained. Now, Navarro had claimed that executive privilege invoked by Trump somehow prevented him from testifying or turning over documents or even showing up to work things out. He just refused. He, he thought, well, executive privilege, I don't have to do anything. In fact... A, executive privilege is not always very clear. It's not actually a real thing. It's sort of worked out. It's sort of negotiated out what exact, exactly executive privilege is. It's not actually a law or in the Constitution. So what it covers, what it doesn't. But more importantly, there's no actual evidence that Trump ever invoked executive privilege in this case. But now that's me, not Fox, of course, but back to Fox here. At the sentencing hearing, Navarro spoke in his own defense, saying he defied the subpoena because he believed in, quote, good faith that Trump had invoked executive privilege. Quote, when I received that congressional subpoena, he explained in court, I had an honest belief that the privilege had been invoked and I was torn. <laughs> Nobody in my position should be put in conflict between the legislative branch and the executive branch. Is that the entire lesson of this proceeding, he asked? Get a letter and a lawyer? Yes, yes, it is, Peter. He said, I, I think in a way it is. Yes, that's right. Navarro, get a lawyer before defying a congressional subpoena, you idiot. Yes, that is the lesson here. Quote, the day of the attack on our Capitol was one of the worst days of my life, Navarro claimed, describing it to the judge as, quote, desecration of our Capitol and the end of any argument about the vote count law on our books, he added. Really? Really? Have you let your old boss know about that, Pete? 
The judge uh, said, uh, quote, I have a great deal of respect for uh, your client and what he accomplished, and that makes it more disappointing. He also noted that Mark Meadows, who also faced the January 6th committee subpoena, quote, produced documents, produced texts. He didn't testify, but at least he did something. Navarro said his legal bills associated with the case have surpassed $1 million, and he thanked 20,000 small donors for their help. Suckers. He also appealed to uh, supporters to donate more to help cover his legal expenses. And, of course, Fox News offers the website address to make that offer, uh, to to send those uh, uh, donations. I don't think I'll bother to share it with you. Navarro, uh, Fox Notes, was the second Trump aide to face contempt of Congress charges. Former White House advisor Steve Bannon has also been convicted of two counts and also sentenced to four months behind bars, though he has been free while appealing that conviction. And I guess hoping and praying that Donald Trump gets in so that he can be then pardoned again. But a few points that Fox did not bother to mention in their coverage This via NBC News, Judge Mehta told Navarro that the words executive privilege are not a magical incantation or get out of jail free card to get out of subpoenas. Quote, what I find disappointing is that in all of this, even today, there's little acknowledgement of what your obligation is as an American, the judge said, to cooperate with Congress, to provide them with information that they are seeking. Fine. You think it's a political hatchet job. It's domestic terrorists running the committee. But they had a job to do, and you made it harder. It's really that simple. You are not a victim, Meta continued. You are not the object of a political prosecution. You have received every process you are due. Yeah, for some reason, they didn't run those quotes over at Fox. The assistant U.S. attorney, John Crabb, said the defendant believes he's above the law, but no one is above the law. We are a nation of laws. The rule of law is crucial to a functioning democracy. But, of course, the party that calls themselves the party of law and order does not actually have much uh, interest in following, you know, the rule of law, at least when it pertains to them. They'd prefer to pick and choose which laws they're actually obligated to follow. That's a good law. This one, not so much. Navarro was instrumental, NBC notes, in spreading disinformation about the 2020 election after Trump's loss and issued a report that Trump falsely said proved that it was, quote, statistically impossible for him to have lost the election. Trump referred to that report, to Navarro's report, in his infamous will be wild tweet on December 19, 2020, encouraging supporters to come to Washington for a, quote, big protest on January 6. That tweet, many January 6 defendants have said, is what drew them to Washington. Prosecutors noted in their sentencing memo, quote, like Stephen Bannon before him, Throughout the pendency of this case, the defendant has exploited his notoriety through courthouse press conferences, books, podcasts, to display to the public the reason for his failure to comply with the committee's subpoena, a disregard for government processes and the law, and in particular, the work of the committee. The defendant wrote a book on the very topic that was the subject of the committee's subpoena, prosecutors argued, 
He was happy to tell the world what he knew, but not Congress. And now, uh, pending appeal, of course, which is how the rule of law and due process actually works. There may be a two-tier system of justice, but uh, guess what? Peter Navarro was on the better tier. Anyway, pending appeal, he will hopefully pay the price for his actions with uh, at least some time behind bars, just like his fellow scofflaw Steve Bannon, and yes, hopefully even their mob boss Donald Trump. Eventually. Already seeing the inside of a prison, however, one of those uh, dupes and suckers who responded to Trump's will-be-wild tweet that cited Navarro's report, uh, one of these uh, dupes who, uh, who saw the tweet who said he saw that tweet and it brought him to Washington on January 6th, well, he'll be paying a much higher legal penalty than Navarro ever will. A man who stormed the U.S. Capitol with fellow members of the far-right extremist group calling themselves Proud Boys was sentenced on Wednesday to six years in prison after he berated and insulted the judge who punished him. I don't know if he's a super genius here. But, yeah, you're uh, not supposed to do that in court. <laughs> super genius Mark Bra. It's spelled B-R-U, so it's probably pronounced brew, but I'm going to go with Bra. <laughs> Mark Bra repeatedly interrupted D.C. Circuit Judge, a uh, chief judge, D.C. Circuit Chief Judge James Boesberg, before the sentence uh, was handed down, calling him a, quote, clown and a, quote, fraud presiding over a, quote, kangaroo court. You know, just the way Pete Navarro called the January 6th committee a kangaroo court, and the way Donald Trump calls the courts that he does not like kangaroo courts, because you know what? A fish rots from the head down. The judge warned, bruh, that uh, he could be kicked out of the courtroom if he continued to disrupt the proceedings. You can give me a 100 years and I'll do it all over again, said bruh who was handcuffed and shackled. The judge said, that's the definition of no remorse in my book. <laughs> Prosecutors described Bruh as one of the uh, least remorseful rioters who assaulted the Capitol on January 6, 2021, when extremist supporters of Donald Trump, encouraged by the then outgoing U.S. president, broke into the Capitol to try to stop the certification by a joint session of Congress of Joe Biden's victory over Trump in the 2020 presidential election. Prosecutors said Bruh planned for an armed insurrection, a so-called January 6, 2.0 attack to take over the government in Portland, Oregon. Hello, Oregon. Uh, he planned this to happen several weeks after the attack in Washington, D.C., the deadly attack. Prosecutors wrote in their court filing ahead of his sentencing, quote, he wanted a repeat of January 6, only he implied this time it would be more violent. Bruh has been representing himself. So again, super genius. Mm. He has, however, had an attorney on standby. He has spewed anti-government rhetoric that appears to be inspired by the sovereign citizen movement, at the start of the sentencing hearing, 
Bruh demanded that the judge, at the start of the sentencing hearing, he demanded that the judge and a prosecutor turn over five years of their financial records. What? He does not realize that it doesn't work that way. Well, the the judge gave him a 10-minute break to confer with his standby attorney at that point before the hearing resumed with still more interruptions. I don't accept any of your terms and conditions, bro, said. You're a clown and not a judge. Uh, uh, Trump has taken to calling defendants like bro hostages. Hostages. This, I guess, is one of the hostages. While uh, Trump has been out on the campaign trail and he has promised pardons for people like this. Judge Boesberg convicted bruh of seven charges, including two felonies back in October. He flew uh, from Portland, Oregon to Washington a day before Trump's Stop the Steal rally near the White House. He joined dozens of other Proud Boys in marching to the Capitol. He was one of the first To breach a restricted area, he grabbed a barricade and shoved it against police officers. He later went inside the Capitol. He entered the Senate gallery where he flashed a hand gesture associated with the Proud Boys. That would be the white power hand gesture, I presume, as he posed for selfie photos. More than 1,200 people have been charged with Capitol riot-related crimes. They are not hostages. And this jerk is another one of them. The fish rots from the head down. And it's not just rotting in D.C. Let's take a quick break, and we will come back to just some of the state Republican parties in a whole bunch of swing states that are literally falling apart amid the right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of the 2024 presidential election campaign. Those stories and Desi Doyen's latest Green News report are all ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. I love you, Arizona. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love you, Arizona, too. But boy, do I hate that song. I hate that song so much. And yet, you play it. I hate that song so much, I love playing it. That's how much, that's how bad that song is. Also, my mom loves that song for some reason. So, you know, there you go, Mom. In case I forget to get you something for your birthday. Happy birthday. (laughs) Uh, anyway, uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. So now this is just getting ridiculous, but frankly, hilariously so. State Republican parties in big, important battleground states are just falling apart at the seams and in, and in wildly embarrassing ways, too. Uh, it, this is not uh, going uh, g- quietly. Although it's not getting, frankly, the coverage that it deserves nationally. But anyway, when, when, you're, when your national party leader is about to be handed down enormous 
Tens of million dollar verdicts for rape. We're now talking about Donald Trump. Tens of millions of dollar verdicts for rape, defamation, massive financial fraud, even before getting to the 91 felony charges for cheating to win the 2016 election by paying hush money to a porn star, stealing highly classified documents from the White House, and attempting to steal the 2020 election. Well, I suspect, I guess we should expect no less from the heads of the state parties who support this guy. What was it you were saying? The fish rots from the head down? Correct. Several weeks ago, uh, after physical altercations had actually broken out at state Republican Party meetings in the critical battleground state of Michigan, and as it was revealed that the party was all but entirely broke, the state party, and that they had to declare bankruptcy, officials in the state GOP met to hold a vote to remove the state's brand new chairperson, Christina Caramo. Now, she's the 2020 election denier that Republicans decided to run for secretary of state, believe it or not, in 2022. And she got absolutely trounced by incumbent Democratic secretary of state Jocelyn Benson. So naturally, Karama was rewarded for her failure by being elected to head the Michigan State Republican Party. But things have not gone so well, and uh, with, you know, altercations breaking out, uh, no money, they're looking at selling the building that houses the national headquarters. So Karama was ousted by the state's executive committee in uh, an election that, naturally, Karamo and her supporters do not see as legitimate. Because <laughs> no elections are legitimate, at least if they lose. Who could have predicted that? She and her faction at the party, at the state party, have refused to turn over the Michigan GOP website or the email addresses they use and the literal keys, I believe, to the state headquarters, which has noted uh, they're looking to sell as the party tries to figure out how to avoid bankruptcy. The various factions, pro and anti-Karamo, they're all now suing each other with each one claiming that they are the actual legitimate official heads now of the state party as the entire matter has descended into utter chaos that the National Republican Party seems to have no ability to do anything about. So things are going well for the GOP in Michigan. Then there's Florida, where Ron DeSantis's hand-picked state GOP chair, Christian Ziegler, was also recently ousted from his post as state chair following criminal charges of uh, criminal allegations, I should say, of rape. The alleged victim in this uh, turns out to be a woman who has apparently been carrying on carrying out a, a sexual relationship with Christian and his wife. Bridget Ziegler, she's the co-founder of the moralistic right-wing group calling themselves Moms for Liberty. Uh, they're behind the push for banning books in Florida, uh, DeSantis's Don't Say Gay Law, and other anti-LGBT authoritarianism in the state. <laughs> the so-called family values crowd Correct. that's you know, having a three-way on the side. Correct. She's also an elected official on the Sarasota uh, school board where she, you know, can help to protect our children from deviancy, like, I don't know, carrying on an affair with her husband and another woman? <laughs> uh, 
State police have recently said that Christian Ziegler has been cleared of sexual battery, you know, like the allegations that GOP presidential frontrunner Donald Trump has actually been found liable for. But law enforcement in Florida say they will seek charges instead for video voyeurism, a felony in the state, as it appears that Christian Ziegler secretly videotaped sex acts with that woman whose name has not been reported. So he, too, uh, had been fighting the state's party and their right to remove him as chair. So, yeah, that's not embarrassing at all for Republicans in uh, the state of Florida, which not too long ago was an actual swing state. And then on Wednesday, another GOP chair in another battleground state, this time, yes, Arizona, announced that he, too, was stepping down, but he was doing it on his own after being accused of bribery by 2020 and 2022 election denier and failed gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake. As the New York Times reported on Wednesday afternoon, the chair of Arizona's Republican Party resigned abruptly on Wednesday, a day after the publication of a 10-minute recording of a conversation between himself and Carrie Lake in which he appeared to offer a bribe to persuade Lake to drop her 2024 U.S. Senate campaign in the state. In the recording, which was first published by the Daily Mail, Jeff DeWitt, the now suddenly resigned state party chair of the Republican Party in Arizona, tells Lake that there are, quote, very powerful people that want to keep you out of the race and suggests he is passing a message on from them. He says he had been told to ask her, is there any companies out there or something that could just put her on the payroll to keep her out of the Senate race? Now, the 10-minute the recording is clearly bits and pieces of a longer conversation. Yes, it is clearly edited. There is stuff that, for some reason, is not included in this tape. And it, it was also, you can hear, it was sort of recorded both inside and outside of Lake's home, where DeWitt had come to see if there was, you know, anything he might be able to do for her to prevent her from running, at, at least this year, for the U.S. Senate. Wait two years, he, he was suggesting. That after she bombed so spectacularly during her uh, Trump-endorsed gubernatorial run back in 22, you know, which ended up turning over the governor's office in Arizona from a Republican to a Democrat, Katie Hobbs. So here's a f just a few pieces from that tape. And I know in some s segments here, it kind of sounds fake. It sounds like the House of Cards or something, but apparently <laughs> it isn't. You can, you can hear Lake eating as they talk a little bit. The sound sort of goes in and out as her, apparently her recording device is probably in her pocket and uh, sounds better at times than others. And with, with DeWitt telling her, quote, this conversation never happened. There are very powerful people who want to keep you out. Of the I know when they do. But they're willing to put their money where their mouth is in a big way. So, this conversation never happened. So the, the ask I got today from back east was, is there any companies out there or something that could just put her on the payroll and give her to keep her out? You don't go away, but you pause. Is there a number at which... I can be bought. <laughs> what it's about. You can take a pause for a couple of years. No. And then go right back to what you're doing. Mm -mm. No. 
that's immoral. I couldn't, I couldn't look at my, I, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror if I, you know. It's just, it's very powerful people. You need a strong party to help. I think you, you should go public with this and then no, say, hey, no, 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 no. These people don't want to. They don't want. They're... And then I turn my key in my car and I just. <laughs> I actually wish you'd just give me a counter offer this big. Give me a counter. <laughs> I can't I can't be bought. <laughs> so convenient that she recorded that so she could be recording herself saying yeah. such things. Yeah. She can't be bought. Very, very upstanding, you know, for her to say that, to make that clear, because she 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 knows, yes, she knows that she is recording the conversation for use as needed. A little bit later, she can't be bought, but but she can blackmail someone trying to bribe her by, you know, secretly tape recording him. You Republicans, by the way, are darling. So you can hear DeWitt uh, at the end there. He's saying, uh, I actually just wish you'd give me a counteroffer that's big before she loudly proclaims I can't be bought. End of recording. DeWitt, uh, meanwhile, accused Lake of releasing a, quote, selectively edited recording of the conversation, which he said had happened in person at Lake's house more than 10 months ago. But uh, selectively edited or not, it really does not sound good. And DeWitt has not offered a very good explanation for it. He indicated he had not realized he was being recorded in the conversation. He said he had suspected Lake had prepared for this situation, quote, contrary to accusations of bribery, my discussions were transparent and intended to offer perspective, not coercion. He also acknowledged that he, quote, said things I regret, but that Lake, quote, crafted her performance responses during the conversation with the intent of later releasing the recording. She is a seasoned broadcast professional, by the way. She spent many years as a television uh, news anchor. DeWitt also said that Lake had pressured him to resign on Wednesday, threatening to release a second recording if he did not resign. He said, quote, I received an ultimatum from Lake's team. Resign today or face the release of a new, more damaging recording. He wrote in a statement, he said, quote, I am truly unsure of its contents, but considering our numerous past open conversations as friends, I have decided not to take the risk. I am resigning as Lake requested in the hope that she will honor her commitment to cease her attacks, allowing me to return to the business sector, a field I find much more logical and prefer over politics. I guess because it's easier to get away with the criming in the business sector. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. So, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything worse than this, but I'm getting out just in case. Lake's team pushed back against that. Uh, they said, uh, quote, no one from Kerry Lake from the Kerry Lake campaign threatened or blackmailed DeWitt. Her senior advisor said in a statement, adding that the tape showed that Mr. DeWitt quote, attempted to bribe Carrie Lake, but, quote, thankfully, Carrie is an e extremely ethical person <laughs> who rejected DeWitt's multiple attempts to offer her money and corporate board seats in exchange for Carrie not running for public office. Uh, I guess she is so extremely ethical, by the way, that she secretly records conversations with her so-called friends? Really? And then she waits 10 months to release the information and sits on it? When needed. 
DeWitt said he hopes that uh, Lake's bowing out of the Senate race, uh, he said that his hopes of her bowing out of the Senate race stem from concerns about her electability in a purple state. If Lake defeats Mark Lamb, a sheriff in the Republican primary, as she is widely expected to do, she could be in for a tough fight against her likely Democratic opponent, Congressman Ruben Gallego. DeWitt said in a text message, quote, the interest of myself and any other people in wanting Kerry to consider sitting on the sidelines for a cycle, for a cycle, just for two years, purely revolved around her limited appeal with moderates and independents and her being a drag on the entire ticket. My desire as party chair is to put forth the best slate of candidates, and Mark Lamb has a broader appeal and positive approach. And I guess they are willing to pay her any sum of money that she wants to not run in the bargain, but, you know, just for two years. That's all we're asking. DeWitt also said in his resignation letter, quote, contrary to the notion of me being an enemy of Lake's, This conversation was recorded while I was actually employing Lake in my private company. So she was already working for him. She was already literally on the payroll of the head of the Republican Party in Arizona. DeWitt said, in fact, for over a year and a half, we had many conversations where I was looking out for her financial interests. Now, I'm not sure how that actually defends him and his position there to say, well, she was already on my payroll, so I don't know what the big deal here is. I think what he's trying to say is that I did not personally do it. I was just conveying a message from the people who do want to bribe her. Good luck with that. God love the Republicans. Quote, he added, contrary to accusations of bribery, my discussions were transparent and intended to offer perspective, not coercion. Our relationship was based on friendship And the conversation that is now being scrutinized was an open, unguarded exchange between friends in the living room of her house. I genuinely believed I was offering a helpful perspective to someone I considered a friend. Yep. And uh, with friends like that, no wonder the GOP in battleground state after battleground state appears to now be eating itself alive in Michigan, in Florida, now in Arizona. Who is next? Talking to you, Georgia. Hello. Wisconsin, you guys ready to eat yourselves alive up there? How about Ohio? They, oh, now you're really reaching for it, huh? I was going <laughs> to go true. for Pennsylvania. Okay. But you're right. No, Ohio, let's go. Ohio. Well, they're already doing a little bit in Ohio. They uh, have a uh, the the Republican, the gerrymandered Republican state legislature passed a bill to cruelly prevent treatment for uh, uh, trans people in the state. And the Republican governor there, Mike DeWine, vetoed it. And on Wednesday, the gerrymandered Republican state legislature overrode his veto. So, yeah, there's a little bit of that going on in in Ohio. We could see that as well. But could you imagine, could you imagine if even one of those states was actually a Democratic state, a a, a party chair for for the Democratic Party in the state? We would see 24-7 coverage of Dems in disarray in an election year. Such as it is, 
I suspect very few people outside of those states even know how the Republican state parties are just apparently falling apart in those states nine months before the next presidential election with the White House and both chambers of Congress up for grabs, not to mention thousands of state and local races. And the three party chairs are being uh, ousted, charged uh, uh, with, with, with rape, essentially. Bribery? Good Lord. That's the party of law and order. Uh, by the way, DeWitt was elected to chair the Arizona GOP just last year. All these people are like new chairs. He, he replaced the uh, former Looney Tunes chair uh, uh, and failed Senate candidate Kelly Ward in Arizona. She was behind the ridiculous so-called post-election forensic audit carried out by the uh, of the 2020 election by the now defunct and bankrupt Cyber Ninja outfit. Which, by the way, when it did its phony uh, post-election forensic audit, whatever they called, found that Joe Biden actually defeated Donald Trump by more votes in 2020 than the Republican election officials who ran the election in Phoenix had actually certified. So, yeah, a fish rots from the head down. Keep rotting. Green News Report is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. Well, there you go. That's much cheerier music. Much cheerier <laughs> music for a much cheerier topic like the destruction of planet Earth. Oh, there's some good news in there. Just hang on. We'll see. As we get to our latest Green News report. None of us alive have seen anything quite like this. Astonishing flash floods cause widespread damage in San Diego. Despite recent cold, winter overall is getting warmer in the U.S., Plus, we've done a lot of work to reduce emissions. That's a lie. Oil giant Exxon sues its own shareholders to block climate initiatives. All of those lies and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We've been very supportive of the efforts uh, globally and, and within the industry to reduce uh, our carbon intensity and carbon emissions. Really? Then why are you suing your own shareholders? Darren Woods, ExxonMobil CEO. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, if it wasn't for jerks like Darren Woods over at Exxon, maybe we wouldn't be in this fine mess. But here we are in this fine mess, and it's getting fine messier. Yes, it is. We've been reporting on how winter 2024 is repeatedly demonstrating that U.S. infrastructure is not ready for more frequent weather disasters intensified by man-made climate change. The latest was in San Diego on Monday when an intense 
1,000-year storm dumped a month's worth of rain in mere hours, breaking the record for the wettest January day ever in the city. Officials say that within minutes, flash floods in some places several feet high inundated homes, roads, and freeways, swept away cars, and overwhelmed stormwater infrastructure, causing millions of dollars in damages. No deaths were reported. California Governor Gavin Newsom proclaimed a state of emergency for two counties. Forecasters warn another round of intense storms may be on the way. Here's San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria in a press conference. Every mayor is talking about how they're dealing more frequently with extraordinary weather events that they've never seen before or happening with a level of ferocity and frequency that is not anticipated. This is called climate change. It is real. It is happening. And we experienced it yesterday in San Diego. And I fear this will not be the last time we deal with it. I fear that as well. Intense storms in northern California and the southeastern U.S. also triggered flash floods in some areas. Vital transit corridors like Interstate 70 and 44 had to be shut down when freezing temperatures turned the rain into black ice. Mm. Speaking of vulnerable infrastructure, in Oregon, a jury awarded $85 million in damages to the families of nine victims killed in catastrophic wildfires back in 2020 that ranked among the worst disasters in state history. It's the latest verdict against electric utility giant Pacific Corp, which was found liable for negligence in failing to maintain its overhead power lines, sparking the wildfires that destroyed more than 5,000 structures. Despite recent extreme cold in the U.S., winter is getting warmer overall across the lower 48. Data firm Climate Central reports that while extreme cold events clearly still occur, they are getting shorter and milder. Since 1970 in the U.S., the coldest day of the year has warmed by 7 degrees Fahrenheit on average across nearly 250 locations, with the Ohio Valley and Pacific Northwest seeing the biggest jump in winter temperatures. The researchers warn that warmer winters have year-round effects on fruit and nut crops, water supplies, winter sports, seasonal allergies, and more. So you mean because it got cold last week in some places in the U.S., climate change isn't over? (laughs) That's right. Well, that's not what the fruits and nuts over on Fox News told me. In other news, ExxonMobil is suing two of its own shareholders, asking a court to block activist investor groups from filing climate proposals at the company's shareholder meeting that would force Exxon to set emissions reduction targets for what are called Scope 3 emissions. Scope 3 emissions are produced when Exxon's product is burned by customers, and they make up the lion's share of Exxon's contribution to man-made climate change. ExxonMobil is the only major Western oil company that has not set Scope 3 targets. Some good news. The Justice Department announced that truck engine manufacturer Cummins will pay $1.6 billion in penalties after the company violated the Clean Air Act by installing cheat devices on its diesel engines in order to defeat pollution and emissions controls. The company must now recall and repair more than 600,000 Ram trucks. Isn't that the same scam that Volkswagen pulled a few years back? It certainly is. Mm-hmm.
And finally, the U.S. Postal Service this week unveiled its first electric vehicle charging stations and its growing fleet of all-electric delivery vehicles at a massive new sorting facility in Atlanta. Thanks to federal funding from President Biden's infrastructure law, the Postal Service says it will convert about 400 facilities into EV charging hubs this year as it modernizes the postal delivery network, reducing emissions and air pollution in residential neighborhoods. Thanks to the Biden administration and to all the activists who demanded they start doing the right thing at the post office. Yep. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Good news. You're right. That is good news. I know. Charge them up. And by the way, that's a story that we have been uh, covering on this show now for several years with this fight over these new vehicles. They, uh, the head of the postal service, wanted to go with uh, fossil gas vehicles. Yes. There was a big fight from activists. No, let's go uh, electric. Let's go with EVs. Uh, There was a knockdown, dragout fight with the. Postmaster Donald Trump's Postmaster General, Louis yep. DeJoy. We spoke with the head of the Postal Workers Union on the show, Mark uh, Diamondstein. Diamondstein, yes. I think, uh, some years ago. And now we have a happy ending with electric vehicles finally rolling out at the USPS. Desi Doyen, don't you owe Donald Trump Postmaster General Louis DeJoy an apology. I do not. The guy is still slow walking this rollout of electric vehicles. I'm glad that it's happening. I'm glad that President Biden got the uh, the actual funding passed that Louis DeJoy was trying to say, oh, I, I you know, we can't do this. You got it. We don't have the funding for it. So here you go. Do it. And so all now right. they're doing I, it. I, and I, it is good because the Postal Service is finally going to be cleaning up all that pollution that they have been, uh, you know, putting into neighborhoods. And it's just the same way that the uh, the Biden administration is now funding electric school buses to stop the polluting diesel going through amount, around throughout American neighborhoods and uh, hurting our American children. So there you go. All right. I accept your apology on behalf of <laughs> Louis DeJoy. Got to get out. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, want to hear it again, or want to share it with someone you know, love, or hate, you can do so for free at bradblog.com. That made possible by those of you who hit one of the donate buttons or go to bradblog.com donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter, you'll find me at the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Charge me up, baby. Charge me up.